welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolias First. For more information, visit www.magnoliasfirst.org. Welcome back to our series, Hebrews. Over the last few weeks, we've walked through some really tough passages from the letter written to the Hebrew church. And we have looked into the idea over the last three weeks of exactly what it looks like to run the filter of what exactly is important when it comes to our salvation. What is enough? What is our role in enough? What do we play? And I think it's been made very clear that our role is simply to believe in faith and then walk in the works that we have been saved to, not saved by. There's a difference. It isn't just trying it out. It isn't just looking into it. It isn't just a lot of research. It isn't just a lot of knowledge. No, this relationship that is offered through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is immersive and we must take it in. It must become who we are. A taste doesn't do that, but a taking in is what makes the different, is what makes the change. So in the next two weeks, we'll take the phrase enough is enough and walk a different path with it. We'll look at how we take it apart from our salvation and add that phrase enough is enough to our lives in the context and the framework of how we live our lives. And all of us, every one of us this morning is faced with this fact. All of us will come to a point where we need to stop, throw up our hands and say, enough is enough. Now maybe you've done that professionally. Maybe you've done that in your relationship with your kids. Maybe you've done that in any number of ways or places. But when you did that, you've probably discovered your circumstances were not gonna be able to change. And what ends up happening over time, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, is that we are the ones who don't change our circumstance, but just change the way we see our circumstance. We change our perspective. So today it brings us to our big idea and we'll get into it. And our big idea is this, your perspective determines your response to reality. Reality is reality. There is no changing it. But the way we look at it, the way we've anticipated it, and the way we see it when it happens determines our response. I was uh, a whiny kid. I, I don't like that fact, but it's true. And, and one time, this was exemplified when I went on a Jeep ride with my cousins and my uncle. My uncle had got a, a new Jeep. And we were up in Missouri visiting, and we all jumped in the Jeep to go on a Jeep ride. It was one of my favorite things in the world to do. And as I got in, I noticed everyone was sitting in the back of the Jeep, not in the back seat. And I took that opportunity to sit there myself. I thought, hey, your loss, my gain. And so I jumped in the Jeep, and I sat in the back seat, and some of my cousins, my sweet, friendly cousins, would reach up and say, Jesse, you don't want to sit there. Trust us. You don't want to sit there. So why? They said, it's no fun sitting there. And I said, no, I'm going to sit there. You guys don't know. I've never been on this Jeep ride before in my life, but I know better than you do. So my uncle looks back and he says, hey, Jesse, I don't think you want to sit there. 
No, I do, Uncle John, trust me. Okay, have it your way. And so we took off, and we went fast. And we were hitting hills and bumps and jumps, and at the first one, my, my bottom hit the seat, and then my body shot up, and my head hit the roll bar. And it, and I'm like, oh my goodness. And I'm like, stop, I'm crying, I'm yelling, oh my goodness, all of us, every one of us, this is the worst Jeep ride. Everybody must be in tor- terrible pain and torment. And as I looked around, everybody was having a great time. I was the only one that was miserable. I was the only one that couldn't have any fun because my head kept hitting the roll bar. The ride wouldn't stop. I'm like, Uncle John, listen, you got to know, man, this thing is hurting. You got to stop. He said, hey, we'll be done when we're done. I said, I'm crying. Please stop. I can't. Everybody else is having a great time. Try to keep your head safe. So I'm holding the rest of the trip. It's embarrassing. Holding myself and crying and miserable and just enduring. Enduring this ride. I'm like, ah! And I get, uh, the worst part is I kept looking back going, surely my sister, my little sister, she's, she's laughing. She's having a great time. And it made me more miserable. It made me more angry. I just remember getting off that Jeep ride. And my Uncle John, I believe he was being sarcastic, said, Jesse, did you have a good time? I mean, I'm crying, bawling. Everybody's laughing. I felt so out of it. And it made my response worse because everybody was laughing and I was trying to justify why I was, I'm like, no, you guys, that was unsafe. But we told you. You could have got back there with us. Are you doing that like I do that sometimes in my life right now? Are you grabbing on to something and fighting for something that doesn't matter? Just got out and moved to the back. I could have had a great time, but instead I decided to fight where I was. I needed to just change my perspective, change my location, move myself to be in a better place. In that circumstance, I could have just had a little fun. But in some of these circumstances, it could be saving our marriage, saving our workplace. I want to be very clear with you. What we're going to talk about today has nothing to do with the pandemic. It would be true if somebody took a dump truck of money and backed it in your front yard. We need to change our perspective to receive that the right way. If your marriage is falling apart, if your kids and you can't get along, if if you can't get along with anybody at work, I contend that your circumstances don't need to change. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, and listen, even if you're not a follower of Christ, If you're not a follower of Christ and you begin to put these principles into practice, your life is going to change. Because it has nothing to do with this. What it has to do with is our perspective of our circumstances, not our circumstances. And then we'll find that what also has to change is our perspective of God and who he is and how exactly we are on this ride. So let's get into it. We're going to turn to Hebrews 12. We're going to be reading from the New Living Translation. It's the one we use up here at Magnolia's First. You can look along with any. That's what I'll be using if you want to find exactly the words that I'm going to be using. We're going to start in 12.18, which honestly is the worst place to start normally because it's the middle. This book, this letter actually was written to some people and it's wrapping up. And some things have already been established, most importantly, who Christ is and his role in our salvation and in our life moving forward. 
And so as we continue to walk through, we're gonna start here with this picture that the writer of Hebrews is drawing for us so that we can see the two ways that you could see God and the two truths of who God can be. God is not different, but there's a way to see God, same God, but to understand and to embrace him, see him, and encounter him in a different way. So we start in Hebrews chapter 12. And, there, and he's talking, he's saying, listen, you have not come to a physical mountain. They, they were very much affluent in the history of the Jewish culture, and the Jewish culture had a beautiful relationship with Mount Sinai. It was a, a love-hate relationship with Mount Sinai. And, and he's saying, no, you didn't come to a physical mountain. He's talking to people who have received Christ. No, you didn't come to a physical mountain to encounter God. To a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. No, listen, is that, is that interesting to you? To a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind? That's how God's people saw him in Mount Sinai. That's how they, their perspective saw him. They put themselves, and you're well aware of their whiny, complaining, negative ways. The same God who rescued them from slavery, brought them through miracle after miracle, exhibited himself so that they could see him clearly and know he was there and their description of him was not. When we read that, we don't think of God. I think of Satan when I hear that. Fire, doom, gloom, and whirlwind. Is God that? Yes. Yes, he is. He's power. He draws fear. When people see him, Every time he is shown in any way, not his real way, but in the way we could see him and handle him, people say what? Please don't kill me. That's the way God is. But it's not the only way God is. Is that the truth of God? You bet. Is that the truth of God without Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Was that the only thing there is about God? No. No, because of Jesus, there's something else. And it changes our perspective. And it gives us a, a way of looking in at God and seeing him. And when we see him this way, then it changes our perspective of our circumstances. Here's what it says. So now you have come, in verse 22, now you have come to Mount Zion, to a city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels and a joyful gathering. I'll read a little further. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and the people and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance. See, forgiveness is what you and I receive now. We don't receive Mount Sinai. We receive Mount Zion. And we receive that because of the sacrifice and the mediation from the perfecter and the champion of our faith, Jesus. 
And see, it's critical for us to see our circumstances that we see God the right way. It's critical that for us to see our circumstances with the right perspective and to have it affect our reality in the right way, we must change the way we see God. You know what's crazy? It seems like the easier God to worship is the Mount Sinai God, the scary God, the the doom and the gloom. I can just fearfully walk up and I can throw to him just what little I can and I can feel guilty about how I should have done more and I can feel, but I feel that I did something and maybe I appeased him and he's not gonna kill me. But this God that's talked about in Mount Zion is the God who welcomes me in and while he could have killed me and should have killed me because the way I've lived my life appears that I hate him according to the way that he loves me For some reason, it's harder to worship him because he doesn't just say, you better be glad I didn't kill you. No, he calls us in and he says that he loved me and he loved me before I loved him and that no matter what I do, he's going to still love me and that through my acceptance of the sacrifice of Jesus who mediates, who made it all right, who justified me and has put me on a path to be made righteous through sanctification. He calls me in and he loves me and he doesn't just say you're lucky to be here. He says you're my son and you're my daughter and you now have an inheritance of heaven. And see, when I see that, guess what it's harder to do? It's harder to live for Jesse. It's harder to live for myself. It's easy to live for myself when I'm just happy I'm alive and I can just throw some stuff over the least I can and I can just throw it on the mountain of fire and I can just run away because I'm afraid he's going to kill me. But for the one who calls me in and loves me, so for the same thing you and I must do, we must understand that there's a God who can he be absolutely terrifying? Yes, But is he completely love? Absolutely. He didn't just create love. He is love. Without him, there would be no understanding of what love is. And because of that, if I change my perspective, then guess what? I can see my circumstance. We're going to talk about that now. And it goes on here in verse 25 as we move on. It says this, be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking, God. For if people of The people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses. The earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will Remain. See, there's this understanding I have where I want God as long as it doesn't affect me, right? There's this opportunity that I walk into that I'm like, I'll go this far, but if I go too much further, then it'll cost too much. It'll be too much. It'll, it'll require too much. But when we change our perspective on who God is, 
and what he wants from us and how he loves us and how he didn't save us because of our good works. He saved us to those good works. And while he could kill us, he could snap us away. He chooses to not do that, but to fulfill us, to give us purpose, to give us meaning in this grand, wonderful, beautiful plan of his. It's not for our benefit. It's for his. But he knows that if we do something for his benefit, it will ultimately be for our benefit. And so he calls us to live a life that's holy, bringing glory to him. But I have a problem with that because I love shakable things. This says here that everything that's shaken will be removed so that only unshakable things remain. But I love shakable things. And I'm not talking Coke cans and deodorant bottles. I'm talking, I like stuff, right? I like stuff and I like to have stuff and I like to look around and I like to get stuff in order so that people will look at me and say, Jesse has it together, but that's shakable. The way I rate my family and our effectiveness, truthfully, sometimes is by how good are we as citizens of this great city we live in, this great country we live in. But we aren't called just to be good citizens. We're called to be effective followers and modelers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that sometimes means that we have to do things that no one else is doing. But here's another thing we have to do. We have to understand that in that perspective, when I look and I see God the right way, and then I begin to change and see all my, my realities that way, everything is shakable. Except for my faith in Christ. So my, my anger that church isn't meeting, shakable. My anger that my spouse is this, is shakable. Because see, at the end of the day, it comes down to Jesse, and Jesse's shakable, save the salvation of Jesus Christ. There's nothing about me that's going to make it out of here except that Christ saved me. And for us as followers of Christ, we're missing the boat when we fight against each other about certain preferences and certain decisions that we've made on what this global thing should do. This pandemic hasn't changed a thing about our response. We have never been given another response except love to each other and to the community. We have never been given another response to any cataclysmic event except love and modeling what Jesus Christ did. He has said time and time again that he will be the judge. He has said time and time again that he will make those decisions that he has sent us to do as Jesus did. But I love shakable things. And if I'm honest, some of the things that matter the most to me are the most shakable. And how foolish and how angry I get when I think I deserve something, but the truth is I'm just going after something that's completely finite in this infinite perspective. And here's the problem. If we walk into that with this attitude, if we walk into our lives, we won't have anything to fight about because nothing really matters except Christ. And then we'll be indignant. And then we'll stand firm and we'll look like people who are standing on something that matters instead of stuff that just hasn't ever mattered. So I want to go to the front 
to Hebrews 12 as we begin to wrap up. And how do we do this? How do we go through life with this perspective that's affecting our reality? Because here's the reality. If we don't change our perspective, we're going to start losing more than we're winning. Not Jesus. He's going to win. He ultimately wins. But you are miserable living and pining after yourself. So what do we do? Here's what we do. Chapter 12, verse 1. We're going back to the beginning. Here's what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Here's why we do this. So we, we, we have this huge host of witnesses. They're not people watching us. They're people that we can look at. So you can go back to chapter 12 and you can see this hall of fame that includes a lot of really flawed people, except they got one thing right. They wholeheartedly believed, not perfectly, but believed and had faith in what God called them to do. And so they're in this faith hall of fame in chapter 11. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, now since we have all these people to look at and learn from, let's do what they didn't do sometimes. Let's cast off that sin, right? And you know what that is. I don't need to tell you what that is. You know those areas in your life that are tripping you up, that you look around to try to bring people in to agree with you. If you're doing that in a lot of areas, guess what you're doing? You know you're wrong. That's why you're bringing people in. You're looking for ways to put stuff on instead of dump stuff off. And this is calling us to let it go. To change our perspective and see it the right way. See ourselves the right way. See God the right way. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. We look back to the people that we can learn from and then we keep our perspective and we change our perspective by looking at Jesus and his example. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him. What? No, not the joy that was here for him. He didn't do it for the joy that was here for him. He didn't do that to receive blessings. See, that's what you and I think. We think, okay, I'm going to do some good. And that's what people tell me all the time. Hey, Jesse, man, I am doing this and this and this and this and nothing's changing. Man, that's, that's not possible. You mean you're just not receiving the benefit that you thought you were going to receive. And I'm here to tell you that's not going to last because if we look at Jesus and his perspective, here's some things we have to do. We have to see that the things that we're going to receive are eternal. And we know that those things are going to come much later, but much greater than we could ever anticipate. But you've got to know that Jesus didn't do the things he did on this earth for what was here on this earth for him. So why should we expect anything different? Because he did that for the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, it says in picking up in chapter, verse 2 of chapter 12. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now the joy awaiting him is that he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Think about it. That's how we change our perspective. We, we think about the life of Christ and what he endured and not for this earth but for heaven and now his reward is to sit at the right hand of God the Father. And he did that. He did everything here so that that would be realized and so that you and I would have a chance to be with him. After all, it says in chapter four, you've not given your lives in the struggle against sin but Christ did. That's how we change our perspective. We see who God is. He's not a God who's fire 
and doom and gloom. But because of Christ, we now enter into a whole different relationship with him. And then to keep our lives and our past and our realities to the big idea, which is what? It's that the big idea is that your perspective determines your response to reality. It's all about your perspective. Reality for the follower of Christ has nothing to do with it. Reality is reality. We just have to change our perspective and that's how it affects how we respond. Listen, you and I, we're on this earth but for a short time and we are living, when we live for the shakable things, a futile existence. And we know that. Because when you've pursued yourself to any end, you know that you've never been satisfied. Your perspective determines your response. Ours is response only. How am I going to respond? So then we flip over to this other verse that talks so specifically and leads us perfectly into the second Peter 311. It says this, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should we live? Listen. God is coming and he's not just going to shake the earth, he's going to shake the heavens and the earth and only the unshakable things remain. What are you living, aspiring for that's shakable? And what are you living and aspiring for that's unshakable? And I could tell you, the list of unshakable things is really, really small. There's nothing else but the truth of Jesus Christ. That is the only unshakable thing. And when we have that as our perspective, then our Response to reality is drastically and dramatically changed. So my question to you is this. What are you pining over that isn't this? What's a big deal to you that isn't this? Is there any other response we need to make but to determine that this is true and that this is how we'll live? Because all I can find in this book is that it's Jesus and the way that he ushers us into a right relationship with God. That's it. So since it's all going to burn away, what holy and godly lives should we live? What should we do? What have we been saved to? What have you been saved to, not by? That's the shakeable. But what we've been saved to is the infinite. And you know that when he made those works, the works for you long ago, Ephesians 2.10, those works he made for you long ago, guess what? He made the works and then he made you. And you're perfect to accomplish those works. That's it. Those are the unshakable. And it's not for yourself. And it's not for what you'll receive here. But we look at Christ and we say, look what he did. He did that for the joy that awaited him. And what a joy I'd like to experience. Because if you're looking for joy in anything else, you're not going to find it. Keep trying. Let me know. It's probably not there. Back in Hebrews 12 at the very end, and as we wrap this up, we'll have a couple things we need to do, but listen to this. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. See, that's it. 
See, we don't just get the shakable and then God's like, hey, figure it out. No. No, we get the unshakable, and we are receiving. That has to be done so that that kingdom could come down and that we could receive it. It's our inheritance. And he shakes it. And when he shakes it, that unshakable thing is not just for him, it's for us. And we do what we do here for that one thing, the only unshakable. We do it so that we could receive the kingdom that's unshakable. So let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. That's what happens when we realize that we worship the same God. God hasn't changed. He's still the God that existed on Mount Sinai. He's still the God that people saw as doom and gloom and fire and smoke. But do you know what? He could have killed us, but he didn't. And that brings me into a sense of awe and reverence for him that I've had for nothing else. It isn't temporary. It's infinite. He isn't like us. And he could. He's everything that those who have even just seen the back of him or where he's been and those who have seen the angels and those he has sent, those people who have seen it, their answers were, please don't kill me. And their response was, I'll worship you forever because although you could have, you didn't. And you didn't just say, you're lucky to be here. You said, I love you and I want you and I've got something for you to do. So since we're receiving that kingdom, how should we live? We should live a life with the perspective on what is true and right and good. For our God is a devouring fire. Our God is a devouring fire. And somehow, listen, that's good news, and here's why. Because when our perspective of who God is is right, and then our perspective is changed, and it affects our response to our reality, guess what? We know that the shake is from God, and we know that the fire he sends is not just from God, it is is God. And the same God that preserved his people leaving Egypt with blood over their doorways will preserve us as we, as we know, as we anticipate, and as we look for his return and his work and his effect on this world. We will not be scared. We will not be upset. We will not respond with things that don't matter. We'll look for the shakable and we'll cast them off and we'll look for in every situation to find the unshakable. Because our God is not just a God of fire. He is a God who is the fire. And he comes down and the destruction that he brings and however that looks and whatever that looks like, he's the same God who sent Christ to save us from the very thing that he is. But he has all the power to do all that he needs. So what do we do? How do we walk out of this and keep our perspective straight? Well, here's the way I, I think everything has to be done. It has to be, we have to cast off and we have to look at in our own religious experience, what are we doing and what are we holding on to that's shakable? I encourage you in these next steps to do this. This week, get honest with someone about your spiritual perspective. I think I, I, this, is my, this is my big idea every time. 
My first, it's my first next step every time. It, it all starts with honesty, and I think that's the deal. We've just started to buy into this sh- very shakable religious experience, and we've begun to think that there's a moment and that we check, there's like this list of check boxes that we do. Man, you need to look that up. That's not the way it's, it's lived out in the Bible. And, and we need to be honest when we're living a religious life that is just shakable and not a spiritually based life living on the one thing, which is this, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. When we look at our spiritual lives that way and our personal, there is no difference, right? But when we look at our lives that way, we see where we're off and it helps change our perspective and it won't happen unless we're honest with someone. And you gotta be, here's some, here's some info. You gotta find the right people for that. But we've got a lot of great ministry coming up. We've got something called Trifecta coming up right now. We believe we'll have a huge impact in that. So look for that. It's a great way we believe that our church can get connected. So in the next weeks, look for a way that you might have an answer for this to get honest with someone about your life. Second is this. Make a plan to move towards a deeper embrace of who God really is, not who you want him to be. That's, it doesn't come any other way but through prayer, the reading of scripture. There's no quick fix to this. There's no easy answers. There's no uh, Cliff Notes version of your spiritual life, of your faith in Christ, but to just begin to put yourself in a place where you are in the scriptures and you are praying and, and I can't explain to you more that there are so many options out there, great options. The Bible app is phenomenal. We have pastors doing plans all the time. Pastor Seth, Pastor Mill, Pastor Ed, they're doing plans. We have Right Now Media. We have all these great options that we encourage you to pour yourself into, not to get smarter, but to help change your perspective so you can do the works that were laid out for you to do. This isn't about knowledge increase. This is about a life and applying the things that we know. See, a lot of people say in Hebrews, especially it talks about milk and meat. Some scripture is milk. No, no scripture is milk. It's all useful and good. So what are they saying? Well, here's what it says. It's saying that we're living a life where we apply the scriptures in elementary areas and not the deeper areas of our life. And that comes through a lack of perspective of who God is and a lack of perspective from our circumstance and our reality. There's no milk scripture. That's ignorant. There are a milk application of the way we live out our life and the way we live out scripture. That could be more true. And the meat we need are the things that matter and we need to do that through changing our perspective and changing the way we see our reality as not our reality is not existing to benefit ourselves but our reality exists to benefit God and when we see it that way then our life is different then when the fire comes the storm comes you know what we say there's something for me to do here there's a way for me to go here and we don't just throw up our hands and say this whole thing's horrible and where can I go next to be fed and this and that no because when the fire comes we know that's my God when I see him, then that changes the way that I see reality, and that changes my response to reality, and that makes me effective and have purpose and meaning and also puts me right inside of his will.
So be honest this week and then start to dig deep because the way that our perspective changes the way we see our reality. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your scripture. We thank you that there are so, there's so much about you we'll never know, but we know enough about you to love you as much as we possibly can. And while you are the embodiment of fire, you're also the embodiment and you're also the existence of love and grace. And so we thank you for taking us in, for loving us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You, you loved us and we are accepted by you because of that and we come into that relationship and we walk into that existence wanting not just to say it's done, but to say it's just begun and that we would begin to do the things that you've called us to do, that you've saved us to, not by. So we ask that you put people in our path that we could be honest with about our spiritual life and about our perspectives of who you are and what exactly it means to live a life for you. And we pray that you give us the discipline and determination to pour into you so that we could know you, not just to be smarter, but so that we would have the courage to do the things you've called us to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you all, have a great week.